Hi, everyone. I bring you grace and peace and greetings from the West Coast and from Eco Synod staff. You know, really, as a staff, and especially the four execs, John, Nate, Dana, and I, um, all, all staff exist to serve you. And so it's our pleasure when we get to do the kinds of conversations that John was talking about, uh, when we get to be in your presence. And it really leans into, we're going to talk about discipleship and one of our other core values, our mutual spurring. But we have four core values, and another one of them is the complete local, right? That we exist as a denomination to be there for you as the local church. You are the ones on the front lines doing the work, and we exist to help you and encourage you and resource you in that way. So um, I think it's very true what John said, that this is a burning discipleship, is a burning issue for eco-churches. Um, evidenced by the fact that this is my third presbytery three weeks in a row speaking on this topic. Um, and so I never had so many invitations on the exact topic, which I think a lot came out of the national gathering and out of coming out of COVID and all these things we've been talking about. So I'll give you a little roadmap of what we're going to do. Tonight we're going to ask the questions, we're going to show the gap, and really tomorrow I'm going to give the answers <laughs> in some way, not a answer, um, but give you some of the nuts and bolts about discipleship. But first let's just locate ourselves as to why discipleship is so important for the body of Christ and for us as a denomination. So like I said, we have four core values. One of them is our mutual spurring. And that comes from Hebrews 10:23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, even though it can be a pain, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so underneath our core value of mutual spurring, oh, I'm supposed to be saying next. Sorry, next. <laughs> you got it. Um, is this phrase, and it says, the strength of our covenant community is how we challenge one another to constantly transform. And another reminder of where we are, if you don't know, ECO's mission statement is that we build flourishing, flourishing churches that make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so mutual spurring is really how we encouraged and encouraged others to be growing as disciples. So it's in the Bible. It's in our vision frame. Uh, next, it's also in our polity. And there's an, there's an elder who actually pointed this out to me, that this was missing from my presentation. And so I was very proud of this elder that he brought this to me. Um, an elder in Boulder from Grace Commons Church. And it says, from our polity, 
It is the responsibility of the session to plan for and provide an effective disciple-making ministry discernment process for the congregation and new believers, equipping them to be missional Christians and being faithful to nurture them into spiritual maturity and significant ministry. Did you know that? That is the responsibility of the session. And so these three things, scripture and our vision frame and our polity, are a little bit aspirational. They are where we want to be. But as John has referenced, there's a bit of a gap and there's a bit of a deficit between those things and where most of our churches are. So let's talk about next this discipleship deficit. So I would venture to say that almost every Christian, every pastor, and every elder would say, is discipleship important? Yes, discipleship is important. But saying that and living it out and saying that and understanding what that actually looks like are two different things. So we have some evidence in our churches. Um, one of the things that I like to say and, um, is flourishing churches are led by flourishing leaders who are flourishing disciples. Or actually, let's go backwards is the better way to do that. Flourishing disciples become flourishing leaders who lead flourishing churches, right? That's the right progression. Everyone wants to skip to being a flourishing church. Everyone wants to say, how do we become a flourishing church? And you want to say, see the beginning. Let's go back again. Flourishing disciples become flourishing leaders who then lead and become flourishing churches. So we want to fast forward, right? We don't want to have to start at the beginning. Also, because of our great Presbyterian heritage, many of us um, have been raised in a church where discipleship is equated with head knowledge, with information. We Presbyterians highly value the life of the mind, and there is nothing wrong with that, but head knowledge does not make us a disciple. We also have people who have been sitting in our pews or sitting in churches for decades upon decades, and their life outside of Sunday morning, their behavior, their attitudes show lack of fruit of the Spirit. We also have congregations that spend way more time way too much time doing things that don't produce disciples. A lot of us have discipleship in our mission or vision statements, but then that's not translating down to where and how we spend most of our time. We get more concerns with budget, butts, and buildings than we do with the core vocation of the church, which is discipleship. We have church leaders and pastors, uh, many, who are not being discipled themselves or discipling others. Dana Allen, you might know, has written a great book called Simple Discipleship, and in it he makes a really 
startling confession, which I think is true of more of us than we would like to admit. He says, I was in the middle of my second call as a head of staff, and I realized, I don't know that I've ever been discipled, and I don't know that I know how to disciple someone. And that was really hard to say as the head pastor, but that led him on a journey. We also have pastors and leaders who know it's a problem that discipleship is not being done well, but most of us want to treat, treat it as something that we can fix in a six-week program. What's the magic curriculum? What's the book if we all read? And can we be done with this and everyone be flourishing disciples in six weeks or less? And so that doesn't really work. So we have the roadblocks here. We get diverted from discipleship. Uh, we have most pastors and leaders who have never been discipled themselves, so it's hard to even imagine what that looks like or how to train others to do it because we haven't experienced it. A lot of times we want to use programs over people. We're going to talk a lot more about that. We want to focus on evangelism and the eternal benefit and getting people saved over the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit over a lifetime. Sometimes we think discipleship is extra credit for the few, those really holy people in our church. They're the ones that are going to do the discipleship. But for all of us regular folks, nah, that's not for me. It's, it's multiple choice. It's optional. And most congregations, even if they think discipleship is important, they don't have a clear pathway you know, people come in at all different phases of faith and discipleship, and if we don't have a clear pathway where someone can enter to become a more mature disciple, then it's hard to know for, um, it's hard for folks to know where to plug in and where to start. I just wanted to mention the PowerPoints, the three PowerPoints for my three presentations will be emailed to you afterwards and you are welcome to use them in any way, shape, or form that you would like. And so I thought that might be helpful so you don't have to scribble. Okay, um, John Mark Comer is one of my favorites and came to speak at our national gathering. He says, the gospel has been preached in such a way that you can become a Christian without becoming a disciple of Jesus. We have separated Jesus' twofold call in the Great Commission. And so sometimes we tend to focus on baptizing them, which would be more the evangelism end of things, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Unless it's in a sermon or a Sunday school class, then we don't really have a pathway for that. So someone said the great omission from the application of the great commission is that churches don't have a plan of how to teach believers to obey everything Jesus has commanded. Or not only do they not have a plan, they don't know where to start or what that looks like. Another one of my very favorites is Ruth Haley Barton, and she says, there is the tension between the need for an easy discipleship process through which we can efficiently herd lots of people 
and the patient, plotting, and ultimately mysterious nature of the spiritual transformation process. So that's what we're going to um, spend our time talking about. But as we look at this, because we know that mutual spurring is discipleship, I just want to define this really quickly, which will help us get to a better definition of discipleship. So mutual is experienced or done by two or more parties towards each other, right? It's give and take. It's reciprocal. I am doing a terrible job of saying next. Okay. I'm... <laughs> I'm supposed to be telling her next every slide, and she's doing great, right? She's, okay, sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I was afraid of that. Okay, so a lot of times we think discipleship relationships have to be top-down and hierarchical, and a pastor or a really mature, wise believer discipling a less mature believer. And that is one model of discipleship, and maybe some of us have been discipled that way. But as we're going to talk about, there are a lot of mutual ways that we can encourage one another towards discipleship that is not top-down, that is mutual. And then spurring, you know, we think of a horse spur, and I think it's, you know, to urge forward by digging one's spurs into its sides. It's giving incentive or encouraging someone. It's stimulating them. And I put the picture of the spur because those are, don't those look sharp and painful, right? So that gives you a little bit of an idea of what we're supposed to be doing for each other because becoming Christ-like is not an easy process. There is some pain and some sin and some things we need to lay down, and we need other people to spur us, to kick us in the side, and point us in the right direction. So mutual spurring is how we encouraged and are encouraged, how we encourage and are encouraged to be growing as disciples. So, before we go any further with what I have to say, I want us to do a little bit of brainstorming. Perfect. Okay, so what we're going to do, and you guys are going to help me fill this out, is we're going to say, in the church, or in your church, how would you define, or how would your people define a disciple? What do you think? You can just yell them out. Somebody said in your church, on your church patio, in your commons area, what is a disciple? What, do you, what are some of the things you might hear? Okay, follower of Jesus. Okay. What else? Okay, seeking. Okay. And what are we growing into or towards? Okay, Christ likeness. Okay. An example? 
Okay, a disciple is an example, a good example, right? Okay. Okay. Studying. Okay. Okay, fruit of spirit. Say that again? Action-based, okay? So a a disciple of someone who acts. Serving, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that I think goes down into my next thing is, I think this goes in your answer, well, you can tell me where you think it goes. My next question is, how does the church make disciples? Okay, what, how does your church, what are any tools or resources or ways that you make disciples? Okay, so say more to me about that. I mean, how, how, what does that look like? Okay, and is that that's your that's something that's happening in your church? It is. Okay, great. Okay, disciples. I'm gonna put D. Disciples make disciples. Okay, what else? Teaching. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say that again. Modeling. Modeling. Okay. Mm -hmm. Preaching. Okay, and serving. Okay. Now we want to look at what and this, you can go to the next slide, um, what Jesus defines as a disciple. So what you know of Scripture and how Jesus defines disciple. Self-denial. Self-denial. Okay. What's that? Obedient. Obedient. Mm-hmm. Take up your cross, right? Doer of Father's will. 
friend. Okay. Okay, and then you know where I'm going with this last question is how did Jesus make disciples? He invited them. Okay. I heard someone else say spent time. Yeah. Time, life together. Okay. Yeah. It's a relationship. Ongoing. Okay. He asked, he was a great question asker. Yeah, on mission. He sent them on mission. Yes. Mm-hmm. Time, life together, travel. Rebuke. Okay, he rebuked them. Yep, when they got off track or they got something wrong, he rebuked them. Taught. Yes. Mm-hmm. Same kind of modeling, right? That's interesting who he invited, right? He invited, um, he invited, yeah. Mm-hmm, lost and broken. True. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's up here in terms of how he defines it, but it's not down here of how he made them. Love them is a key ingredient. Great. Yes, he, I, yeah, he was really, I mean, undertaught. He had a lot of great, he, he told parables and stories and gave metaphors that they would understand. Um, so one of the things we want to look at here is, and I think you guys are, <laughs> since I've done this a few times, um, we want to look at these two columns and compare them to each other and say, does the way that the church defines and makes disciples bear any resemblance to the way that Jesus did? And that's a good way, and you guys, um, I think I was going to say you're further along than some of the other groups that I have been to. A lot of times in this column... I get uh, Sunday school classes, teaching, preaching, um, and maybe a small groups. So the fact that we started out with disciples who make disciples, that it's relational, all those type of things. But it's a good exercise um, to do uh, with your elders or with teams just to see where they're at in terms of how they define a disciple 
um, and how we make disciples and how compare that to how Jesus did that. So we're going to kind of start there and um, I just ask this. And then we're going to look at a passage of scripture. There are so many um, so many examples of how Jesus made disciples. So I just chose a brief one. And we're going to very quickly survey this to see all the methods. So as I read this, I want you to think about all the methods and ways that Jesus made disciples in this Luke 9. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people don't welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went out from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Okay, so we're going to look at every single method or device Jesus employs in this one short thing. First, someone already mentioned this. He calls them together, here it says, but we know that each one of them have been invited specifically by name. There wasn't a call from in front of the synagogue one day, anybody who wants to come follow Jesus, we'll meet you out back, right? Jesus saw them and invited them by name. It's also been mentioned that he spent time with them, he modeled for them for a long time, before he sends them out and before he trusts them with his power. And then he sends them out on mission. It is a tough assignment. He tells them they're going to have rejection and hardship. And he has walked. They have walked next to him. And he, they have watched him have rejection and hardship. And then he tells them, you must not just declare the kingdom of God, but you have to demonstrate it. And he gives them the power and authority to do that. But what's so interesting here is that he intentionally handicaps them. He says, you can't take anything with you. You can't take a piece of luggage or a shirt or any money. And it's so funny in church because we're always trying to make discipleship so easy. We're like, come, it's going to be easy. It's going to be fun. There'll be snacks and food and will make it as painless as possible. And Jesus does the exact opposite. He tells them from the very beginning, hey, this is what you're signing up for. You're going to have rejection, and this is going to be hard, right? But in sending them on mission and intentionally handicapping them, he builds their dependence on God and not on themselves. And he tells them to expect rejection. So it's just an interesting, you could do that almost with any slice of Jesus walking with and training his disciples before his crucifixion. 
and do this exercise, it's really interesting to see how different it is than the way we typically make disciples. So I want to have you think for a moment here about how you became the disciple that you are today. And for most of us, there are a variety of factors that have contributed to that. And I have four up here that hit most things, I think. So there's definitely relationship. Most of us have people in our lives who encouraged us or pointed us towards Jesus or introduced us to Jesus. Most of us have had spiritual experiences, one-on-one experiences with God, with divine, in which we knew that Jesus was real for us and we could have a relationship with him. And then there are experiences or circumstances These are things that happen in life. Some you chose and some you did not choose. A lot of times there are hardships and sometimes there are joys. Sometimes there are mountaintop experiences and sometimes they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death that helped you grow into the disciple you are today. And then, of course, last but not least, but there's been instruction There's truth, there's your Bible, there's the preaching and the teaching and all the awesome Sunday school teachers you had when you were were little. So we're going to think more about this tomorrow, and this is actually going to be a part of a discipleship design of how we can disciple others, is to think about these four areas. But I want you to just noodle on that from the beginning to see that it's not usually just in a classroom or just in a relationship that you grew to be the disciple that you are today, but God is working in and through all of these things in your life. So as we think about how we're going to do that in our churches, we need to think about these four bullet points. So, um, What is the aim of our mutual spurring and discipleship? So I want to talk for just a second about discipleship and its connection to the mission and purpose of the church, to ecclesiology, because what are we discipling others towards? So let's look at this answer. We are discipling in order to spur others on to use some of their freed time to join paid workers in doing God's work in and around the church. Yes? Mm. No, no. I think that sometimes the way our discipleship programs are structured We are trying to get people to give some of their free time to spend more time on the church campus to join the paid staff and pastors in doing God's work in and around the church. And there there are exceptions to that. But by and large, that's the way, even though we see that on paper and we know that that's not what we're trying to do, if we look at our structures and the way we get volunteers and what we're asking the volunteers to do and where we're asking people to spend their time, it sometimes resembles this. But what it should resemble is that we are to mutually spur one another on as the gathered church 
so that we are each equipped to do God's work on our own front lines where we already spend most of our time as the scattered church. So the goal of real discipleship is not to get more people on the church campus for more hours in their week. The goal is to equip lay people to be whole life disciples where they spend 90% of their time. And that's a big shift, and it's an important shift, and it's the kind of disciples that Jesus made who were on mission. They would gather only to scatter. So making these type of whole life disciples is actually the core vocation of the church. This is how we be the church, the body of Christ, to the world. And so it's important. It's important that we get this right. Peter Drucker, who's a business writer, says, you need to ask every business owner this. What business are we in, and how's that business going? So as a church, what business are we in? Making disciples. How's that business going? Right? We need to ask ourselves, take a hard look at where we are spending our time and our energy. What programs do we need to stop doing? What programs do we need to repurpose? What do we need to start doing if making disciples is truly the core vocation of the church? So, um, tomorrow... I've kind of set up the big questions and some of where we're going to go, but tomorrow I promise I will not leave you hanging, although I heard there's some people who can't be here tomorrow, so um, sorry, um, or come back, because um, tomorrow we are get, get into the nuts and bolts of how do we do this? What does this look like? What questions do we need to be asking? What are some tools and easy resources simple but not easy, resources that I can give you to go back and start talking with your church about. But um, before we dismiss for the night, because I think it is important to have things from the head go to the heart, I'm just going to pray for us and give you a few minutes of silence and um, just really say, hey, Lord, what do you have for me tonight? What are you wanting me to hear from this? It's a lot of words that I said, a lot of stuff we covered, but what does the Holy Spirit want to impress upon your heart for you to take forward from this moment? So let me pray for us and give you a few moments of silence. Dear Heavenly Father, it is your heart that all of your children would know you and would follow you and would enter into a lifelong journey, a daily journey of becoming more like you, not for the sake of personal holiness, but for the sake of others, for the sake of the world that you came to save. 
And so, Lord, tonight, as we ponder all of these things in our hearts and we think about discipleship being the core vocation of the church that you have built, of which you are the head, would you speak to us? Would you speak to our hearts and let us know what words and concepts you want to stick there and you want us to carry forward for the sake of your kingdom? In Jesus' name we pray.